Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by John Crampton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. So, uh, we're, we're looking in the, the context of Isaiah chapter 40. And, uh, you know, there's the voice crying out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And verse 4 says, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill will be made low, and the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And, and so the whole context here is that, yes, there are valleys, and we encounter valleys at different times, but the Lord is saying prophetically that things are going to be lifted up, and He's going to raise us up out of the valleys, and He's going to, in a sense, be smoothing things out. And so many of us have experienced some very, very difficult, challenging times because of lockdown, because of the virus. It's impacted us in so many different ways. And we keep talking about, you know, what is normal? What's the new normal going to be? You know, how long are we in this thing? And, And so there's been so much mental and emotional energy that's been going into trying to figure out our way through this. How do we navigate this particular season? How are we able to, you know, not just survive, but even thrive? And, uh, and so we, we look in at a number of the different things. Last week, we looked at a couple of valleys together. And, um, you know, we, we looked at the whole thing of the Valley of Visions and how people, they run to all kinds of, um, you know, false sources of prophetic insight, and uh, and God was actually using a season to remove this particular valley so that they would not go to false prophetic predictions, and uh, with this age of fake news and all these different things that people have had to deal with, you know, this is one of the things that I believe the Lord is busy doing, and He's helping to clear out the the prophetic ministry. And uh, so that's one of the good things that's happening. So the Valley of Visions is one valley. Another valley we looked at was the Valley of Decisions and how God comes to make decisions, how He comes to judge. And of course, He's judging for us to give us a favorable judgment, a deliverance, if you like. And then also how He holds the unrighteous to account and He comes and brings a judgment there. So that's another uh, valley. We also looked at the valley of trouble and, and how God is the God of the turnaround. He can turn things around where things have been particularly difficult and seem to be like no hope. He actually puts a door of hope in that valley of trouble that we can come out of our troubles and we can come into new things. So there's that door of hope. We also looked at the valley of darkness. Uh, otherwise known as the valley of the shadow of death. And this thing with the valley of darkness, oh my goodness, did we in Joyberg not experience a whole heap of darkness this weekend? And, uh, you know, when it was unexpected, six o'clock on Friday evening, and the whole city was basically in uproar because the schedules hadn't been maintained. There was a whole new thing that was brought in. No one was consulted. No one was notified. Nobody knew what was going on. I mean, this was just like chaos and confusion on top of all of the darkness. And, uh, you know, it's in these kinds of times where we can emotionally find ourselves in a place of darkness. 
I know I certainly had to work through a whole heap of disappointment and, you know, what on earth is going on in our city, what's going on in the nation, what's happening with the economy, and, of course, with all of the things that are coming to the surface again with the uh, inquiry into state capture, there's so many things that appear to be dark in our nation. And it's into these times that the word of the Lord actually sustains us. Because Psalm 23 says we're going to go through the valley of darkness. We're not going to stay there. We're going through. And so I'm trusting that as we look at a couple of the the valleys, uh, again, that we're able to be strengthened and encouraged. And uh, so uh, this one particular thing that I, I felt drawn to, and Daryl and I, we were just chatting in the week about, you know, there's so many valleys that are obviously listed in the Bible, but some of them are just, you know, just points of interest. But what is the Lord saying prophetically? We just don't want to find ourselves in a dead end and doing a study about valleys, you know. This is not a geography lesson. This is about what is the Lord saying through circumstance, through situations, but from a biblical point of view, are there things that can speak into our lives today? And so I got confirmation of this word through shopping. Yeah, that's right. You know, I am not a shopper, not my most favorite thing to do. But um, so the Lord speaks in the most, uh, you know, unusual ways. And uh, so Lisa and I, we're taking David, our son, who's out uh, from overseas and with his lovely girlfriend. And we're off and we're going to go and see, you know, Nelson's big statue there. And, you know, it's it's a good tourist thing to do. And, uh, and we do some shopping. And so while we're there, we're doing some shopping. Uh, we step into this store, and it's selling products that come from the Dead Sea. And, you know, they're all kinds of skin care, things that they've developed, and all of the nutrients and the minerals that can only be found in one place in this level of concentration on the entire planet. And you guessed it, it's the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on the planet. And uh, so with this uh, time of, of talking to the, uh, the, the shop assistant there, and uh, suddenly we remembered when we had been in the Dead Sea and floating around and uh, you know, experiencing all of that stuff that was, that was there, just like absolute desolation in the surrounding areas. You know, it's not just the Dead Sea that's filled with salt, uh, but just the area around it is just so barren, and it's just like, oh man, very, very terrible place. And uh, so we remembered our visit there, and that was maybe about 30 years ago. Yeah, I know, we don't even look old enough to be, you know, like we were even traveling it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then we remembered, you know, Lisa had bought some products there from the Dead Sea and then again bought some products that originated from the Dead Sea when we were living in Atlanta with David. So now here we are with David and we're getting stuff from the Dead Sea. It's kind of like, oh my goodness, this was suddenly getting my attention. And this morning, just the Holy Spirit just put all these little dots together just as a confirmation. Okay. Talk about the valley of salt. And, uh, you know, it's just the way that the Lord speaks to us. Bill Johnson, he talks about the language of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit brings you into certain situations and it's just getting your attention through perhaps some natural circumstances, 
through some conversations that you're having where he is present. He's just lining up the dots for you just in the most spectacular way and that you would have done things that perhaps weren't planned, but he will cause you to be in a certain place at a certain time because he's wanting to just bring a little bit of confirmation as to, to what he's doing and what he's saying. And so, you know, Bill Johnson talks about the language of the Spirit, our other friend, Paul Manwaring, he talks about kisses from a good God. Uh, somebody else sent another clip, you know, shoulder taps from God. In other words, God is getting hold of our attention in this time and in this season to let us know that He's with us. He sees us. In fact, He's actually helping to orchestrate things because He's wanting us to know that He's bigger than the situation we find ourselves in. So... The Valley of Salt. Where on earth do you find references to this? And the most uh, unusual place is actually not in the text, but in the title of Psalm 60. All right, so turn with me to Psalm 60. And uh, just the, the intro, the title says, uh, For the director of music to the tune of the Lily of the Covenant, a miktam, which is a, a kind of like a, a type of writing. It's of David. It's for teaching. Wow. In other words, God uses teaching moments, testimony moments to instruct us. And that's what this thing of Psalm 60, and we'll get to some other references as well. But it's a teaching moment as we look back as to what God did in a particular valley. And it speaks not only of a victory that he gave to his people back then, but it testifies as a teaching moment it prophesies to victories that God wants to bring to us even as we move forward. And the context here was when David fought against Aram Nahariam. And in the footnotes to the title, it talks about the uh, Arameans of the northwest Mesopotamia region. And also Aram Zoba, which is the Arameans of central Syria. When Joab returned and he struck down 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Okay, now, just in the title, there's a whole heap of information that just kind of like, but this doesn't fit. What on earth is going on here? So, just by way of a little bit of detective work, can see that David was out and he was fighting against these uh, kings in the northern regions. So he's up in the northern areas of, of Israel. In fact, what he's doing is he's going to fight against the area of Zorba. And it's right near the northern uppermost boundary that God promised to the nation of Israel, the Euphrates River. So right up there in the northern part, Saul had actually gone and conquered that area. But David goes and he reestablishes their stronghold, if you like, over that particular place. And so he's going and he's fighting and he's basically making sure that they've held on to the territory. While he's doing that, down in the south, in the southern part of the Dead Sea, the Edomites take the opportunity to wage warfare against God's people. Oh my goodness, they're fighting battles on multiple fronts at the same time. 
These are difficult days. Come on. We're fighting battles on all fronts here in South Africa. We've got a virus. We've got some vaccines. We haven't got nearly enough. We've got an economic storm going on. We've got political storm. We've got integrity storms going on. We've got judicial storms going on. Waves of crime and violence and just, oh my goodness, talk about the perfect storm. Everything seems to be rallying against us. Well, this is the context for Psalm 60, where, where David is crying out to the Lord, and he's saying, where are you? Have you abandoned us? I'm going to get to that in a moment. Just let me give you a, a touch more background before we jump into to Psalm 60. You see, when David was up in the northern parts, he actually took on a couple of kings and uh, a couple of people groups at the same time. And uh, one of the kings that he went after was a king called Hadadezer. And Hadadezer, his name means Hadad or Hadad is my help. So this is an Aramean deity and it's equivalent to the Canaanite god of Baal. False worship, false god, false idol. So Hadad being this deity for favor, for success, for prosperity, and for fertility, also for rain. Okay, so all of these things, David was waging warfare, and he was claiming the prophetic promise, because God had spoken, and he told the people of God the boundaries, the extent of the promised land. It went right up to the Euphrates. And so he's taking hold of the very promise of God. Not only that, but he's coming against a kingdom that's standing against the knowledge of God. In fact, is holding up the, the name of another false god as though that god was the god of help. And so we're going to see later on in Psalm 60 how this whole interplay goes on. Now, God is my help. He's my salvation. And so he is taking on religious strongholds to bring it down. Not only is he doing that, but he's claiming the very prophetic promise that God had given. Now I know, as I was you know, praying into this thing, a number of you are working really hard in terms of going after the prophetic words, the prophetic promises that God has given to you for your business, for your family, your future, your career. And you've been doing what God has called you to do, but you're under attack. Kind of like, God, where are you? I thought you said this is the way forward. I thought you said this is the prophetic word. This is the destiny. How come I'm being attacked? How come things are not going well? Why is it a valley? It's not a plain level highway. What's going on here? Okay, hold on. We haven't got to the end of the story yet. Okay, it's going to get better. But many of us, we find ourselves, as we're trying to live for the Lord and do what pleases Him, things come against us. And maybe it's not just on one front, it can be on many fronts. But it's okay. We're going to get there. So, a little bit more background in uh, second book of Samuel, chapter 8. We'll pick it up, verses 11 through 14. 
King David, he dedicated these articles to the Lord as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations he had subdued. So this verse 11 is pertaining to where he had uh, fought against uh, Hadadezer and he'd you know, taken the plunder. But he dedicates it to the Lord for, for worship. Uh, verse 12, Edom and Moab, the Ammonites and the Philistines and Amalek. He also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadadezer, son of Rehob, the king of Zorba. Verse 13. And David became famous. <laughs> How's this? He became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. So Joab, he'd taken out 12,000 and David... Together they take down 18,000. So, you know, they're working together for the sake of expanding the territory of the kingdom that God had given to them. Verse 14, he put garrisons throughout Edom and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. That's the end of the story. God gave him victory wherever he went. But where did he go? <laughs> he went into valleys and he went into battles. And he was facing battles on multiple fronts. You see, if we are going to be overcomers, just remember that we're going to face things, obstacles, blockages, things that we actually have to get over in order to move into the purposes of God. And so, yes... God did give him victory, but he still had to go and fight those battles. So my point to you is, don't be filled with despair. Don't give up. Don't be overwhelmed because there's so many things coming against you. Just as God was with David, God is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. And so even though we're facing all these difficult things, we just need to remember that we are going to get the victory, even as David did. So it was in this valley, the valley of salt, just south of the Dead Sea, the lowest place on the planet. <laughs> Talk about being in your deepest valley. It was his victory there that caused David to become famous. Come on. Some of your toughest battles are what's going to cause God to get the glory in and through the deliverance and the victory that he's giving to you. He's going to cause you, in a sense, to become famous. Well, we know that it's God fighting for us. It's in our weakness that he's strong. Just love that prophetic painting that Lisa did for us. So we're waiting for the wind of the Spirit to carry us. So yes, there's a, there's a sense in which God can come through so powerfully, and we know that it's Him and His doing, but He's going to give us victory, even if we're facing the biggest obstacle we've ever faced in our entire lives. You know, we thought 2020 was difficult. Well, 2021 is proving to be an enormous challenge. Okay, so we just want to hold on to the things of God, His prophetic promises, even though we've got to wage war in order to gain the victory. 
Just because God says, hey, I'm going to give you the land, didn't mean, you know, they all floated down the Jordan River on their lilos. No, no, they actually had to cross the Jordan River. It was flood time. Oh, my goodness, talk about floods. I just saw this morning that the Vol Dam went up to 95% full. This is phenomenal what's going on right now. I mean, talk about water everywhere. It is flooding here. No, they didn't just, you know, go down on lilos. They had to cross during a flood stage, and then they had to go and fight in order to lay hold of what God had said, I'm giving it to you. God has given you prophetic words, but you still got to get up and fight for it. You know, the enemy doesn't want you to have that. He doesn't want you to hold on to the ground that maybe even a previous generation had managed to attain. Saul had already taken that ground. David had to go and fight for it again, to go and contend for it, to hold on to it. Oh my goodness, this passage is so full of just the most phenomenal insights. I'm just blown away by all of this thing. Interestingly enough, by going out to war again, David, he gets all of the articles of gold and silver and bronze, and he brings it and he dedicates it to the Lord. And his son, Solomon, actually builds the temple and uses these materials for worship. Come on. Can you see this multi-generational thing that's going on here? Saul goes, takes some ground. David goes and captures again and brings these people uh, sort of under subjection. And in so doing, he's taking all the treasure and the wealth, and it's going to be used for the future revival. The next generation steps into revival based on the victory that David got. Come on, somebody's getting excited this morning. The victory that you're going to get by pushing through and battling with your business, whatever the particular thing is that you are kind of like wrestling with, God is with you. He's going to help you. And out of this time of valley, and it's just like salt. I mean, nothing is growing there. It is dead, the Dead Sea. Omar, for goodness sake, nothing should come out of the situation. And God turns it around and it's through that victory that David becomes famous. It's through you pushing through that you're able to get the upper hand that's going to bless the next generation. In fact, it's going to fuel the revival for the next generation. Yeah, no, my goodness. This is why there's such a struggle and a battle that's going on right now. There's a... There's a temptation to just throw your hands in the air and just give up. I just want to say, no, don't do that. Even if you're in the deepest valley, God's going to bring us through. All right. Now we can get to Psalm 60. We'll just skim over it quickly, um, but you'll be able to see it now as we pull all these things together. Psalm 60, verse 1. You have rejected us, God, and you've burst upon us. You have been angry. Now restore us. It would appear that God is angry, like, God, why are you You're not with us? Have you rejected me? You're supposed to help me. Some of us actually get into that kind of thinking and questioning. Yeah, we've seen this also with Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these guys, kind of, like, God, what's going on? You're supposed to be with us. Have you rejected us? David as well. It's kind of like, God, I'm, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm going after all these enemy nations. I'm taking them for you. Uh, have you rejected us now that I'm fighting the battle on this front? You, what's happening down south? Whoa! 
Verse 2, you have shaken the land and you've torn it open. Oh my goodness, does this not sound like our nation right now? Mend its fractures for it's quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine that makes us stagger. Oh, you know, there's just not even enjoyment in what's going on. It's like people are just like absolutely confounded. It's chaos in every way, shape, and form. Verse 4. But those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. I mean, talk about high-tech warfare. It's like, God, you've put like a dome, Star Wars dome over us that missiles, things that are shot, that fly through the air like, a, like, a, like an arrow and, and a bow that's catapulting this against us. You, you unfurl a banner like a dome to protect us. <laughs> God's into high tech stuff. Verse 5, save us. And help us with your right hand. Remember what does Hadad mean? Yeah. So God, you the one who brings salvation. You the one who will help. That those you love may be delivered. Verse 6. Here comes the prophetic word. So he's reminding himself of what God has said. Verse 6. God has spoken from his sanctuary. All right. So this is decreed. I in triumph, I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Sukkoth. So Shechem was uh, one of the Philistine capital cities. And when the guys went in Ephraim in the hill country, they took that capital city. And so it's one of the areas that God has given them. And uh, that is on the west side of the Jordan River. And measure off the valley of Sukkoth. Sukkoth is on the eastern side of the Jordan. Remember, um, Jacob was there. It's mean is a place of shelter, and so whether it be the east side or the west side of the Jordan River, God's saying, "Listen, I've got this whole thing." In other words, the promise, the prophetic word is, "I'm going to look after you from the east or the west." All right. And this is contrasting because they're facing battles in the north and the south. Verse seven: Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. All right, so remember the half tribes, those that didn't go over the Jordan, they camped. Some of them stayed on the eastern side of the Jordan. And, uh, and so Moses said, okay, guys, you guys can stay there, but when your brothers go across to, to take the land, you send the warriors, go with them. And so you've got some tribes on the east and some on the west. And so God is saying, listen, either side, east or west, it's mine. Then he says, verse 7, Ephraim is my, helper, is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. So he's talking about um, the helmet, meaning that the strong place for the northern kingdom, Ephraim, Judah, the southern kingdom, that's where the throne was, scepter, ruling the king. All right? Verse 8, Moab is my wash basin. In other words, Moab, one of the enemy tribes, it's like a football. You're under my feet. In fact, you're my wash basin. Uh, Edom, on Eden, I will toss my sandal. When they would throw in the sandal, it was a, a, a gesture of taking the land, like a covenant gesture to, to take the parcel of land. So I'm taking that land from Edom. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. In other words, God's given the prophetic word over these nations and over this land, I'm going to give it to you. 
And so David, in this time of saying, what's going on? Lord, have you rejected us? Have you abandoned us? And then he remembers the prophetic words. And he holds on and says, God, you've spoken this thing from your holy sanctuary. This is your word. It is sure and secure. Verse 9. Who will bring me to the fortified city? This is probably now referring to the Edomites, and they were up in the hills. And you've heard of the city of Petra, a fortified city built in the mountains there. Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have now rejected us? It appears as though God has rejected. He hasn't. But circumstances cause David, the psalmist, causes him to question, God, if you said... If you've given these prophetic words, how can we be facing this trouble? I love this because it's so real. Because we can identify with this. We've all got prophetic words. God promised what he was going to do in the nation. We're going to be a sheep nation, not a goat nation. God's going to use us to speak to the world. God's going to cause us to, to rise up. You know, and the revival coming from the tip of Africa. So many powerful prophetic words spoken over and over and over again. And we look at the chaos that we're facing. The land is quaking. It's torn apart. So much division, fractured. It's kind of like, Lord, have you rejected us? Whoa, just like David. Go back. What has God said? What's his word? If he's declared it, hold on to it. Remember, he's going to come through for us. So verse 10. Is it not you, God? You have now rejected us and no longer go out with our armies, question mark. No, that's not true. Rhetorical question. Uh, not rhetorical. It's just kind of like just processing. Verse 11. Give us aid against the enemy. For human help, the word for help there is salvation, is worthless. Remember the false god Hadad? Okay. My help comes from Hadad. No. My help comes from the Lord. Okay, he's the one who's going to save us. So verse 12, going to land this thing now. Verse 12, with God, we will gain the victory. <laughs> Come on, with God, we will gain the victory. Come on at home, say this with me. With God, we will gain the victory. God is speaking to us. And he will trample down our enemies. All right, thanks for, for staying with me, going to land this thing now. Now, as we remind ourselves of God's prophetic words and his promises to us, he's spoken that he's going to give us victory, he's going to lead us in triumph. Now, we're facing all the chaos in the interim, and it looks like God has rejected us, he's abandoned us. Not only are we facing warfare on the top end, but now, behind our backs, so to speak, down in the lowest place, I mean, talk about a low blow. In the Dead Sea, now the Edomites, they rise up. And we're facing all of these challenges. But out of some of the deepest, most troublesome things that we can face, God is going to give to us some of our most famous victories. David, he becomes famous. Of course, it's not David alone. Obviously, all the troops are with him. Some of his commanders doing great. They're setting up 
these amazing strategic counter-offenses and all these different things, and they re-establish the command posts, and you can read all of this. It's, uh, it's in Samuel, and you also find it in First Chronicles. And, and so we build up this picture together as we're looking at what was God saying through Psalm 60, through this valley of salt. With God, we will gain the victory. I just want to encourage you. God's not done. He's not done with you. He's not abandoned you. You might be facing battles on every front. But take courage. Let hope arise. Love that first song we were singing this morning. Let it rise up within you. Because God's got you. He's got this. Let's pray together. Lord, we are looking to you. We cannot look to humans for help. We cannot solve all of these issues, all of these storms that we're facing. We cannot do it in our own strength. But we look to you. We ask, Lord, that you would release courage, boldness, hope. Let faith arise within your people today. That you are going to take us from one place of glory, even a higher place of glory. Where the enemy thought he was going to come against us and bring us down. You're actually using that. That's not a stumbling block. It's actually a stepping stone for us to go up higher. So I ask, Lord, for all of the family that's watching today, that you would impart fresh hope and courage, that you will give us the victory, that help is on the way. Your love for us remains steadfast. We can rest in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So good. You know, as we bring our time this morning to a close, we just want to go back into a time of just lifting our hearts to the Lord. This is just the most amazing song that we want to sing. And it's a, like, a, like a creed. I've just been led by the Spirit just to go and look at some of the ancient creeds of the early church fathers. It just, oh my goodness. It gives us the bedrock on which we can stand. What we believe what are we going after? And I believe that as we just use the song in worship, it's going to cause a strengthening of our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Let's worship together. <laughs> 